Today, um, I want to get into our message, and I want to talk about foundations. Y'all can see the foundation and the floor that this building is built on. Foundations are important. Matthew 7 and Luke 6 talks about foundations, and it relates it to our spiritual lives. Um, but I'm reading us a story real quick of when they built one of the highest buildings of the South in, at that time in Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia, where one family related this story. They were visiting the site when construction just started, and they were very excited about this new feature that was going to be, you know, um, be, be in, their, in their environment, and it was going to be the highest building in the South. And so they visited and started seeing the construction trucks pull up and starting all the, all the heavy lifting equipment, and they were hauling away dirt and debris, and, 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 and then there were trucks coming in, massive 18-wheelers with lots of steel and things that they were delivering. And after several weeks of them looking at the start of this project, the, the, husband, the, the father's son commented, Dad, when are they starting the building? And, and he was like, yeah, I also wonder, when are they actually starting the building? And so they, started, they decided to, instead of just watching from their cars, just get out and walk a little closer. Well, as they approached the site, they saw a massive hole. And this was now a couple of months into construction, and all there was was this incredibly large hole in the ground. And so there was a guy close by with a bunch of plans under, you know, uh, blueprints under his arm. And they approached him and they were like, hey, um, my son and I were wondering, when are you all starting construction on the building? And so the man had a little chuckle and he said, uh, yeah, well, we kind of get this question a lot, but it might not be that apparent to you all, but this hole here is actually one of the most important parts of this building. Um, when, we, when we're done with this hole and we filled it back up with a solid foundation that could support a structure that will be over 70 stories tall, you'll start seeing it going up above ground quite fast. But we first have to take several months to pour the concrete, sink the pillars, the steel, the reinforcing that will allow us to build as high a building as what we're planning. The Bible compares us building our spiritual lives in God with building a house. And I want to read us a verse from Matthew 7 that says the following, verse 24, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Laying a solid foundation in our spiritual walk is one of the most essential phases of our Christian lives. If we skimp on our foundation, We'll always have trouble at the top. Um, when our lives hit a storm and come crumbling down, we mustn't look at the, at the building of, of, of what we were told to build, but rather look at how our foundations were laid. And so this morning, I want to talk about a couple of things that, that I know are real, strong, firm foundations that if we build them into our lives as Christian living principles, Christian living foundations, we will build a solid house, a solid walk with the Lord. Our spiritual homes will be founded on Jesus, who is the rock. Um, but it's interesting to see how sometimes when you're building a foundation, it doesn't look all that great just yet. You're almost, you're almost making a mess 
before you're starting to make it beautiful. And sometimes we just want the mess in our life to disappear, right? We just want, the, we just want it to go look nicer. But the problem is sometimes we start making things look nice before it is the right time. And we start avoiding. We want to avoid dealing with the messes. And we want to avoid dealing with the necessary underground, invisible work deep in our hearts. We just want it to be okay. We just want it to not be as crappy as it is now. And, and, and try to just, just stuff it down, just ignore it. Because, yay, I'm happy in church this Sunday, right? And so Jesus is saying through these scriptures that, look, it's, it's better for you to sit in the mess for a little bit longer. It's better for you to dig through it, dig down into it, come to the bottom of it so that you can find the truth of His Word as it relates to whatever it is that you're dealing with and then start laying a new foundation based on His truth before you start building things back up again. That's uncomfortable and we don't always like doing that. But that is necessary if we are going to build lives that will become visible and will become strong and will be a testimony for others of the incredible work and transformation that God could do in our lives. So how many of you are familiar with the term the big five? Okay, the front row here will definitely be. Um, that's a term in South Africa that refers to five animals. In South Africa, you can, you can go um, on a, what we call big game um, viewing drives, right? Rides in, in, in the safaris. And, and you can see many beautiful animals like these five guys over here. In South Africa, they're referred to as the big five. And the reason why they're the big five, because, uh, 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 not others, because there are other animals that are bigger than the ones over here, but they're called the big five because um, they're the five most difficult animals to hunt on foot. So it was more a hunter's term to, just, to say, like, if you're going to hunt these guys on foot, it's one of the most dangerous and difficult hunts to do. And so they were deemed the big five, even though they're not the biggest or necessarily animals. But... That was what it was in the past, but now it's just become like the foundation of a good safari. Like if you saw the big five, you accomplished something special. You know that, man, we saw the big five. Even though there are so many other animals to appreciate, and even lizards and you know, insects that people are really fond of to go see in Africa and Southern Africa, um, if you've seen the big five, you feel like, man, we succeeded in our game drive. It's kind of like the foundation of a good game viewing drive, right? Similarly, though, in our walk with God, I want to refer to five, the big five, Christian living foundations today. By the way, my uh, prophet Varsity always used to say, when you do go for a big five game drive, don't forget to also see the small 50,000, uh, because there are plenty others to actually appreciate. But point being made, there is these five foundations that we find in Acts 2 that I believe if we apply them, if we implement them in our lives, they set a good foundation upon which a lot needs to be built and, you know, and, and will be built. But these things really sets you up for success. They help you to take the right first initial steps to living a successful life with God, Christian life with God. So Acts 2, verse 38, 41, and 42 says the following. 
Peter was just, the disciples were just the context, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were just sharing the gospel in all kinds of different tongues and languages, and people were remarking about how crazy it was, and, and some were, th- were thinking they're drunk. And so at some point, Peter stands up and he starts explaining what's going on here and proceeds to preach a whole message on why Jesus is the Messiah, and he relates it back to Old Testament prophecy and explains everything. And at the end of the day, the crowd that was listening were so struck by what was happening, and the reality of the truth that Peter was sharing with them, that they asked the question, what should we do now? Because in this message, Peter says to them, y'all just killed our Messiah. (laughs) The one that was come to set us free, you just killed him. But God raised him up. And he is alive, now offering salvation, a different salvation than you might have thought initially would come. It's a spiritual salvation. It's a salvation that guarantees you life in eternity with God, reconciliation with God himself. And they asked, what should we do? And Peter replied with these, with these things. He said, repent and turn to God. Each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 31, 41, it says this. Those who believed the word that day numbered around 3,000. They were all baptized and added to the church. And every believer was faithfully devoted to following the apostles' teachings. and Their hearts were mutually linked together with one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. There's five things out of these couple of verses that I want to highlight for us that I believe sets us up with that foundation to really understand and build well our spiritual lives with God, our spiritual homes with God. The first one is what he said when he said, repent and turn to God. We have to be born again. We have to come to faith in Christ Jesus. And we have to understand that nothing starts until we are born again. Nothing starts in our Christian walk, in our Christian building, until we are born again. It's like, it's just like clean ground. There's nothing there. Um, All the efforts that we do religiously are just. It just, it just doesn't accomplish anything. No amount of good works we do can ever start building the, the spiritual house in our lives that God desires for us to build. It starts with being born again. So many times we still feel in today's society that we can accomplish that, um, those things with human effort. But the Bible is just clear. We cannot accomplish those things with human effort. These things are first and foremost accomplished by faith and by grace. And so when we put our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, something miraculous happens on the inside of our hearts. We become born again. We become alive spiritually. And now things start happening. Now we are connected with the living God and our lives can start being built on that revelation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the rock upon which we are built. The first foundation is that we have to be born again. Jesus said this to a, um, a, 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 
um, a teacher of the law that came and visited with him secretly at night for fear of man that he would be seen and seen as somebody who was trying to you know, learn from Jesus. Um, but Jesus met with him and spoke to him. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 6 it says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so, some have often related this born of the water thing to baptism, but actually it does not refer to baptism. Jesus is making the comparison between physical birth and spiritual birth. And he's referring to that if you're not a human and you get, if you're not born of the flesh, you're not human. So you cannot get born again. Obviously, you cannot get salvation through that, which differentiates us from, for instance, spiritual world and spirits that have rebelled against God, okay, that cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the flesh and, but then you also have to be born, reborn of the spirit. You have to be born again. And Jesus is saying that this is the first thing that happens. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you have been born as a human and then got born again as a child of God. The second one, and what today is going to kind of focus on, is the fact that he said, y'all need to be baptized for the, for the remission of sin. And what we learn from the rest of Scripture is that our sins are forgiven by faith through grace because of what Jesus did for us. It's not because of something we do, but our declaration of to go doing a baptism says that something internally happened to us that we're demonstrating through this action. The action doesn't achieve it. The action confirms what has been achieved through God's grace. But it's interesting when John, when Jesus asked John the first time to baptize him, John protested. I don't know if you remember the scene. John was in the Jordan River. He was baptizing people for repentance. And Jesus came up to John and said to him, baptize me. And John was like, how can I baptize you? How can I? I'm, so, I'm not even worthy to, you know, to tie your shoelaces. Why, why would I baptize you? You need to baptize me. How many of you felt unworthy in your life before, right? We all have. Yet Jesus' answer is, is incredible. Matthew 3 verse 15, Jesus says this, let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all righteousness. The first remark Jesus makes about baptism has to do with obedience. It has to do with following God's, God's pattern, following God's way, to fulfill all righteousness, to do it His way. Do you think Jesus needed to be baptized necessarily for Himself? No, we, we believe Jesus was a sinless man. He did not need the baptism for his own cleansing and his own declaration. He did it to fulfill all righteousness. He did it as a step of obedience. So for us, baptism, first and foremost, is a step of obedience to God's pattern, to God's lifestyle. God leads us in a specific way in responding to living life according to His Word. And one of the first things we are hearing, Peter said to the people who first believed, is repent, be born again. Believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Second, be baptized. 
be baptized. And the order there is significant because baptism itself is not something that happens before something happens. It's something that happens after something happened. What is the something that happened that gives way to baptism to happen? You have been born again. You have become a believer. And that's important because nowhere in Scripture do you ever see anybody who was not a believer getting baptized. And that means that a person had to have had a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then follow in obedience the next step of relationship with God, which is to be, to be baptized. To confirm publicly through this action that, yes, I have put my faith in Jesus. So somehow, somewhere in church tradition, baptism became um, more of a decision that is made by parents on behalf of their children. And scripturally, that is not supported. We have to allow kids to come to a saving knowledge of Christ, of their salvation themselves, before we encourage them to get baptized. And again, here, age is not the determining factor. Because how many of you know that some kids, you just know, at age six, they, they know they're, they're decided to follow Jesus. At age seven, they understood that their lives belong to Him and they've accepted Him as their Lord. And, and I encouraged parents to carefully discern for every child when they are truly cognizantly understanding what they are doing before they encourage them to get baptized. One of my kids got baptized when they were six. Some of them got baptized a little later. One is now six, and we're still just tarrying a little bit with him to make sure that he understands. He's fully dedicated his heart to Jesus. But I want to make sure that he's doing that for the reasons of understanding why he's doing it before we are, we're going to allow him to get baptized. I don't want my kids to one day come to a service in some other country or some other uh, city and go, yeah, I want to get baptized because when I did it, I, re I didn't really understand what I was doing. I want them to fully understand why they're getting baptized. And they did it because they decided to follow Jesus. And it was the first step of obedience that Jesus called every Christian to do when they get saved. It's one of the first ways, and the, 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 the first ways I can say and I can, I can act out the fact that I've received Jesus, not just as my Savior, but also as my Lord. What's the difference there? The difference is significant. Let's look at Luke 6, verse 46. It says, Why do you call me Lord? And you don't tell what, and you don't do what I tell you to do. This is Jesus talking to people that were thinking of themselves religious, thinking of themselves as following God and acknowledging who He was, yet their lives and their decisions and their actions proved something different, right? Now, whenever you say the Bible, whenever you read the Bible, say, Lord, Lord, like that. That is how the... Um, they wrote in, in that day because their language didn't have exclamation marks. They didn't have punctuation, uh, a system of punctuation like we do in English. So what they did to emphasize things was they would repeat a word. Or they would write the word all capitals. 
to, to emphasize that this is meaning a little bit different and you read it with a different tone or a different emphasis than you would read the rest of the text. So really, Jesus here was saying, why do you call me Lord? He was emphasizing the question, look, listen, the emphasis here is on the word Lord. Why do you call me Lord, but then don't do what I tell you to do? You see, that's a contradiction. Saying Jesus is my Lord, but then not doing what He tells us to do, that's a contradiction. Now, we all have those contradictions in our lives, and there's no moment of, contra- uh, of condemnation. But let us consider it and be convicted in our hearts to, to try as best we can to not just see Him as our Savior that's constantly saving us out of trouble, but as our Lord that's leading us in the right way to live, Right? Verse 47 says, everyone who comes to me, hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. Everybody say, dug deep. Yes, for those of you who are awake now, say, dug deep. And laid the foundation on the rock. Laid the foundation on the rock. I like this version or this this um, not translation this gospel's rendition of this teaching of jesus because it mentions the part dug deep and it makes me think of that hole that they had that they was pouring the foundation in sometimes we try to try to just kind of smooth over things we kind of just like coat everything with a little christian sauce right okay you know i'm I'm, you know uh, you know, I, I've, I've been good, you know, I've been good, I've been, I've been trying my best to, you know, be a good person and, you know, try to do the right thing and, and all that. And, and all that is, is just literally, it's is, is just coating over something that is still fundamentally rotten inside, that needs to get healed, that needs to get cleansed. And our human effort just cannot do that. How many of you can testify to the difference between when you were trying on your own strength and when you finally surrendered your life to Jesus and it just cleansed you. And you knew that you were just good with God. There was no more to be done to be good with God. How many of you can remember that moment of peace? That moment of relief? That moment of joy? When David writes in the Bible, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He refers to that moment. He refers to that place of just being at absolute peace and joy in on the inside, knowing that I'm right with God. I'm good with God, and I don't have to add anything and try more to try more to be good with God. He has accepted me. I'm fully accepted. And so it's necessary for us to sometimes just dig deep. But then he says, when the flood, when the flood rose and the streams broke against that house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Notice here, what was similar to both men? They both heard the word. They both sat in the pew. They both listened to the same message. It wasn't any special message for the other one. One received it and started by faith doing what God told him to do. The other one listened, understood, but didn't do anything. The difference there was in the doing 
not in the what they heard. And so we, from this portion, we and the rest of Scripture, we know that Jesus is the rock. His words, His opinions, His guidelines, His way of life, that is our truth that we live on. Digging deep is working through everything we think we believe and all of our opinions and our ideas our, 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 of how to do it and setting that aside to find what is absolutely true about God's kingdom and then obeying is laying the foundation. It's deciding to build my life on those opinions, on those patterns, on those principles instead of my previous religious way of doing it, right? All right, so Jesus is after our hearts being after Him. Let me say that again. Jesus is after our hearts being after Him. He doesn't want us to just kind of like, you know, um, just hear and go away and, not, and, and nothing gets implemented in our lives. He wants that to see that steps of obedience um, because that's what truly lays the right foundation for a successful life. Getting into the third foundation of Christian living that I truly believe sets you up to walk and build your walk with Jesus successfully is the third one that Peter said, be born again, be baptized, and be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Take a hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. I like the way that this, this translation says it here. Once you have been baptized, you may take hold of the gift of, once you got born again, sorry, I need to make a correction there. Once you got born again, you may take a hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. reason I make that correction is when Peter preached this message later on, got supernaturally called by God through a vision to go to a certain group of people who weren't Jews. Um, the man's name was Cornelius. Um, he went there in obedience to God. Because remember, for a Jew at the time, to preach this message to non-Jews was almost sin. In their minds, it felt like, man, this can't be right. Like, these are sinful people. They're only good for God's judgment. And here I'm coming to try and tell them that God loves them and His grace applies to them. That's, that's difficult for their mindset at the time to, you know, to comprehend. And yet he goes in obedience to this man's house. And there, this whole house of people, Cornelius and his whole family, they're there and they, they, they said, look, we want, we want to know what, what, is, what is this this message about because and 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 peter starts preaching to them and the bible says that as he preached the holy spirit came on all of them they were so hungry and so ready to to follow god and to follow jesus that the holy spirit just while they were while he was preaching he wasn't even necessarily praying for much that he was just talking to them about this incredible grace gift the holy spirit came on them and the Bible says they knew the Holy Spirit had been given to them because they heard them speaking in all kinds of different tongues and glorifying God. And Peter makes this statement. He says, since the Holy Spirit was given to these people, what withholds us from baptizing them? In other words, clearly they got born again somewhere. Clearly they have been affirmed by God as being recipients, legitimate recipients of His Spirit. Children of God, though they are not Jewish, that supersedes our cultural norms and tells us they are okay to receive and to make the declaration of a clear conscience before God. Isn't it amazing? And so they go ahead and they baptize those guys as well. 
But we see this, this foundation of, of trusting God for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing about this account that Peter says is like, what withholds them from being baptized in water? I just saw them being baptized in the Spirit. What withholds us from baptizing them in water? It differentiates between the two. It's two different things that happens to our lives as Christians. And we, we are encouraged to pursue both. And it's interesting that um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened before the baptism of water. And so there is no uh, order in which those two needs to happen. But we also see sometimes when people get baptized in water, the Holy Spirit comes and affirms. And I've seen people come out of the water speaking in tongues and just receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. And sometimes those instances makes us wonder, you know, why did it take me so long to get baptized in the Holy Spirit? But let it just be a testimony to the possibility that it doesn't have to take time. It doesn't have to take knowledge or effort. It's something we receive by faith because we're eager and we're hungry for more of God. In Matthew 3, verse 16, it says this. The first one that I'm talking about being filled is obviously the power that comes with it. But there's another aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit that is really dear to my heart. And it's this. And it's portrayed by this instance where Jesus got baptized. So it says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So there again, the Spirit of God involved at the baptism scene. And it says here, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There's something about the step of obedience. There's something about the interaction with the Holy Spirit that unlocks an intimacy with God. That sometimes we... In our religious mindsets, we don't often understand. We don't often get to experience God in our hearts. We, we are, we're told and we're, we're very sometimes eager to obey and, and be faithful. But, but I know for one fact that the intimacy of God is the fuel that, 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 that propels my desire to want to please Him and to want to walk with Him. And so... To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not just for us to go and be able to do more work, the works, the good works that He had planned for us to do, but it's also for us to be able to experience the goodness of God, to experience the closeness of God. So have you ever felt touched in your heart by God? Have you ever been moved in your heart to, to a place of just extreme thankfulness or extreme just happiness that you couldn't even any longer express it with English and you had to find some other way and your body starts reacting to that close, intimate feeling and it just starts tearing up or it just starts just experiencing something that's warm or, or you start actually experiencing something different than normal because intimacy was unlocked. How many of you know if you're intimate with somebody, you feel their warmth, you, you feel their closeness, right? You can hear them, hear them when they even just whisper the faintest of something because you're so close, you're that with them. God desires that withness, that closeness with each and every one of us. And it's really unlocked when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we get to experience God that way. It's more than just knowing about Him 
uh, in our minds and in our understanding and even through our will and desire to want to obey Him. It's more than that even. There's an actual experience of intimate closeness that we can have with God. We don't want to be people that, that are so un, unfocused on these foundations that, you know, we might even have legitimately confessed our relationship with God as He being our Savior and initially accepted Him as our Lord, but our walk didn't follow up with that and became so stale and cold that now we are just saved, might be going to heaven, but we're just focused on everything other than Him. And, and the Bible says that, the, you know, in the last days, people will become more and more like that. And our encouragement here today is for us to become less and less like that. If the world goes one direction, how many of you know we need to go the exact opposite, right? <laughs> and, 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 and the Bible talks of the world that they will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. And then it says here, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. How sad. How sad that you have people that has the appearance of godliness, but they have never truly, or they aren't truly connected to God anymore. The Bible simply says avoid such people. Uh, be filled, says the Bible. Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we've spoken about that in yesterday's message, yesterday's message. The fourth thing, everybody say, be born again. Be, born again. be, baptized. be baptized. Be filled. Be, filled. be, added. be added. Verse 41 says, those who accepted what Peter said, Peter, Peter said, we're baptized, and that day 3,000 people were added to the group. This here is not just a moment for us to come and get baptized and connect with God. This is a moment for us to say, I am being added. Added to a people, added to a family, added to a place where I will commit and grow. Those who were baptized were also added. And we saw from Paul, last week's message, how Paul were actively involved in local churches. In the beginning of his walk, he was committed to a couple of local churches. And he spent most of his time in those local churches. And then later on, he was mandated to and commissioned to go out and spread the gospel further and plant more churches. But the pattern he set for us is to be a part of a local church where I can be fully known, yet fully loved. For you to experience love requires disclosure. It requires a step of saying, all right, I will let these people know me a little better. It requires of you to be around a little bit more so that you can actually get acquainted with somebody to the point where you start sharing a little bit more than just the, yes, the weather is nice and, you know, we had a good Thanksgiving and those are good things. That's where it starts. Nothing wrong with small talk, but God wants us to go deeper as well. Not with everybody, but at least with some. So who are the people that you can connect with on a little deeper level? Who are the ones that you're going to start trusting God to just get a little closer to so that you can just open up a little bit more so that you can experience a little bit better the family that is on offer right here? My encouragement to you is be added. Be added properly. Be added fully. It's a blessing. And the last one is 
to be about. Everybody say, be about. Verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It talks about being devoted to the business of Christ. Jesus was said of being, he was always saying that I'm about my father's business. I'm not here to do my own will, right? And each of us get to walk in his footsteps and say, we're about the father's business. Remember, this doesn't talk about me. This talks about the apostles' teachings. This talks about the word of God, the mission that God has laid on all of the church. Be devoted to God's mission within the context of fellowship where we break bread together, we share lives together, we pray with one another, we listen to the Word, and we go and live out the Word. The call of God is for us to be both faithful to Him, live that lifestyle of obedience, but it's also to be missional. We've spoken about this, right? Faithful and missional. That's how we are about His business, being faithful and missional. So when you're serving your clients, trust God to move beyond just the generalities. Trust God to find some kind of a way to speak about things that truly matter. How's your kids doing? How's your family? Y'all doing okay? Questioning people, not questioning, inquiring, being curious, being caring enough to, to... to learn about people. That's how we gain the quickest access to the things that matter to them more, where we have the fastest way to offering some assistance, care, prayer, advice, or whatever the case may be that you're led to do. It's faithfulness and it's obedience. Mark 16, he said to them, go to the world, proclaim the gospel. And in James 1.12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Even when it's difficult to remain steadfast. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't work out. Like Habakkuk says, even when the fig tree doesn't blossom and there is no harvest on the fields and the calves didn't come, I will still praise the Lord. Being faithful under trial and under testing. Because those who persevere, the Bible says, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. Be born again, be baptized, be filled, be added, be about God's business. Where are you at in the five foundations? Which foundations are strong and firm in your life? Which needs maybe a little attention? Which are you going to work on this week? Which are you going to respond to? Which are you going to dig down deep in to start laying those foundations in your life this week? Let's all stand together as we glorify God for this for this day and this everything that happened here today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love all of our people, that you love us so dearly, that you're so incredibly faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful. The Bible says you have made a covenant and you swore by your own name because there's no name higher that you can swear by, but that puts your integrity online. And so you will not go back on your word. You have committed to us, God, and we thank you that we can stand in that safety, stand in that security, that you have committed to us, God. We want to commit back to you as well. Lord, thank you that you love us with such a love, such a deep, transforming love. God, we want to go and look at our lives this week. We want to go and, even if we had cracks in our foundation, even if some things are found wanting, that we want to go and supplement, God. We want to dig into your word. 
We want to take our opinions out of the way and start thinking of what is you, what do you think about this part of our lives? And we want to reorder so that we can build upon the rock of your truth. Thank you that your Holy Spirit leads and guides us, God. Everyone here, you can hear the Holy Spirit. He's reminding you of the things that He wants you to focus on in Him. That is not a condemnation. That is an invitation. That is an invitation for you to come and become more close with Him. It's an invitation for you to come and experience more of Him. For you to walk more securely in Him. I pray we all respond to that this week in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you.